Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Episode 68 is part one of an especially rambling urine review from Graham McMillan and me. In part one, which is an hour and 20 minutes long, we managed to cover our Christmas with the Swamp Thing special, Shopping and Other Holiday Thoughts, DC's New 52, Marvel's Trade Paperback Program, Day and Date Digital, Things That Come Out of Brian Bendis' Mouth, The Paintings of Sharon Moody, who I erroneously call Shannon Moody for the whole damn podcast, the voices of the Marvel architects, and a long analysis of the year's crossover events through the only lens that matters, that of Mark Miller. We hope you enjoy, and come back for part two. As always, thanks for listening. Jeff, the weather outside is frightful. I don't know the next line of that, but something's delightful, really? isn't it? Yeah, it's. But the something, it's a fire. I don't know. Someone's on fire. It's all news to me. Yeah. That's it. I, my plan to have us both finish the show by duetting Baby It's Cold Outside is ruined. <laughs> if you're not going to get in there, let it snow, then you have no chance of knowing Baby It's Cold Outside. It's true. I, uh, I, you know, I'm. I, I hate to admit it, but I'm not even that awesome at uh, lyrics of songs I do like. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> Are you implying you don't like Baby's Cold Outside? Uh, Baby's Cold Outside. You, you've never heard the Willie Nelson Nora Jones version. Oh man, uh, that does not. That yeah. I. See that everyone. Everyone's always like, it's it's a rape song. It's a date rape song. I actually really like Phoebe's Cold Outside until I heard that version. And there's something about that version in particular where you're like, Nora, run out the door. Run out the door. <laughs> Nelson is after you. Run run away now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there's... there's. Uh, I do like... It's a shame, because actually a version with you and me doing Baby It's Cold Outside would be pretty hilarious. Um, perhaps even with a video with the two of us, like smoking jacket and ascot, in our exactly. and or there'd be a fake window with someone throwing fake snow outside. Would that be spectacular? And there could be a fireplace with a television inside it showing the Yule log. Oh, there we go. My goodness, internet, get this man a job directing <laughs> Christmas videos. Here's what's done. As I said to you in email earlier this week, that I've just been working crazily to try and get stuff done for Christmas, <laughs> um, and I have a, a spin-off piece, which actually, now that I think about it, has actually is going live in like twenty minutes. Um, but I didn't know what I was going to write for it. I wrote it yesterday. I didn't know what I was going to write, mm-hmm. and honestly, for about half an hour, I was seriously considering doing uh, basically a, a support piece. Uh, this is why this is a wonderful piece. For the Yule log, <laughs> and I was like, "Can I do that? Can, like, can I get that many words out of how much I like the Yule log?" And then, then sadly, I didn't. Ah, <laughs> oh, the ghost of Christmas articles past, uh, or, or yet to come. We, we who knows? This time next right. year, I'm like, "Fuck it, it's time for the Yule log piece." <laughs> I like the fact that it's just sort of sitting there in your file, like when you're madly scrambling for notes. It's like Yule log question mark, and it's double underlined. Exactly. Don't. It's actually a big whiteboard, like they had in '52. <laughs> it's like Superman red, Superman blue, Yule log. 
Jewel Log is Swamp Thing? Yeah. <laughs> that would be sick. There is the Christmas special that we all need to see. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a damn shame that, that Brightest Day didn't end, you know, just right smack before Christmas. Cause that... Whoever is listening at DC Comics right now, next year I want a Christmas special. It can just be something digital. You don't have to print it. You don't have to waste your money on printing it. I want to see a Christmas special. That Jeff and I will do, um, where someone is saying it's a couple, and they're like, "Hey, honey, let's trim the tree," and then the Christmas tree turns into Swamp Thing, <laughs> and he lectures them about how they should just buy fake trees <laughs> because killing a tree every year for Jesus is not cool. Yeah, that would be of... awesome. Actually, it'd be great if we could actually work in, like, every other uh, public service announcement comic (laughs) into it. So then somebody can actually confess to the fact that they were, like, sexually abused and Swamp Thing can help them through it. And then someone has to build a kite. And uh, And then at the end of it, they're like, well, after all this, we're really hungry. And he's like, let's this fruit pie. The Christmas with the Swamps thing uh, PSA special is my favorite comic now. I totally Thanks, want to see industry. this. You're welcome. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Well, so it's our year-end wrap-up. Are we it, supposed to pretend like we already had our holiday? We don't actually do that. You like doing that. I do not. But uh, Hey, wasn't Christmas great, Jeff? It sure was. I loved those presents that I got. Oh, man. I I have to say that this Christmas, I I have done a tremendous job of spending money on myself. I really like... Good job. What about Edie? Have you done any... any, Who? Much of a job spending money on your wife? Oh, uh... Good job! I gotta go. (laughs) (laughs) Good job. As I said, I I have bought almost nothing for Kate. I've been so ridiculously busy until last weekend. Uh, Kate was like, I'm going off to watch a movie with friends. And I was like, that's great. I'm going shopping. Right. And I had this crazy mad rush around Portland being like, that, that, that. <laughs> <laughs> well, just out of curiosity, how did you get around? I mean... I walked. I, I, I did a, oh, okay. a grand walking. So it really was a mad dash around. It really oh, yeah. No, it really was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because I kind of had that moment of like, oh, yeah, Graham can't even like drive really to be fair um, most of it was actually fairly local there's one place I didn't get to go to that I'll probably have to do tomorrow afternoon uh, and I'll just cycle there but yeah I just, it's it's mostly local I mean you know where I live I live in a, a fairly no it's pretty easy you know I, I'm there. fairly yeah. central yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially if she wants like one dollar issues of uh, Green Lantern Mosaic from Excalibur Comics you're ruining <laughs> Wait, wait, it's okay. It's forward in time. No one's going to hear this till after. It's okay. I hope you love Jerry Jones' cultural <laughs> theories, honey. <laughs> yeah. No, I did do shopping for my wife and in fact, it's it's kind of it's kind of hard to you know, sort of like I'll see something I'll be like, "Oh, so I've got a couple of nice gifts for her." But man, those 99 cent sales on Comixology. Oh, holy moly, right now, stuff. huh? Yeah, yeah. Isn't it just, crazy? They, they have really, really good stuff. And we should probably say, listeners, it's, all their sales are going on to the 30th, so they're still yeah. running when this goes live. That is true. 
Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm sure everybody already knows about it, but if you didn't get over there and grab yourself some uh, some crazy stuff, did you buy anything, or is it just sort of you, like, sort of... I have, I have looked. I have looked, and I looked this morning, I was like, ooh, I think I want that, and that, and that, and that, but I haven't actually bought anything yet. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I spent... It's The best thing is, like, I bought some DC books, uh, I bought some Boom books, I bought some stuff from IDW, I think I even bought some stuff from Oni. Like, I was really just all over, like... And then when it came time with for Marvel, I'm like, mm, do I really spend time, money, Marvel, me, them? Mm. But, they, you know, I was looking through their heavy hitter sale, and I'm like, oh, you know, they've got this whole uh, Jason Aaron... Wolverine Weapon X storyline that the you know they they have essentially the first I, I think fifteen sixteen issues. So. Yeah, I mean it's it's a big chunk of a lot of stuff. It's like the first twenty four issues of Iron Man they've got as well. Yeah, 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 exactly. They're just a lot know, of stuff that they already have. Yes, that's pretty much like Iron Man until it gets bad. <laughs> well, no, you know, I'm It's like the first two years are like the best run. Best yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Run Actually, book. So yeah, I, I like that's really good. There's some great Captain America stuff on there. Yeah, this, yeah. Avengers selection is kind of weird. Mm, yeah, but it's like I, I, first couple of years of Fantasy's Avengers. I'm like, really? Yeah. Well, I think because in in the case of most of it, like unlike um, when DC does their sales, I don't really think, and I could be mistaken on this, that Marvel digitized anything new for the sale. So there's a lot of stuff that they, like the Avengers, I kind of feel like they've not they. Weirdly, I don't think like they've been fast tracking the uh, the Avengers digitizing nearly as much as they did with Boo Baker's Captain America or Fractions Iron Man for some mm-hmm. reason. So, um, so I think that could be part of the reason. The DC sale has new stuff that wasn't there before. I think so. I would swear because it's Batman two hundred one as opposed to one hundred one. So they they've got another hundred comics there, some of which has been stuff like Batman Gotham Knights. Uh, you know, stuff that has been co- going up in, since the last sale. But I would swear there's all of Nightfall in there if you're looking hard enough. I didn't know or hadn't been tracking. I, I suspect this had already been put up, but, you know, the Batman Legends of the Dark Knight, they've got like the first 16 issues or something. So I grabbed the Grant Morrison Gothic storyline off of that for mm-hmm. relatively cheap. Uh, and there was something else. There was a, a surprising amount of stuff that I hadn't been tracking that was like Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle's uh, detective, it looks like. A, a lot of stuff in there that, again, I, I have... Yeah, so, I mean, there's there's really a lot of stuff in there, and I was not tracking, like I said, very closely, so it could have been that they put so much of that Nightfall stuff up already, and I, I didn't know, but there's really a there's a lot of Batman content on there. So I'm actually looking at the, the issues right now. Can I just say, yeah. well done, Marvel, for managing to do something shitty in the middle of a spectacular sale. <laughs> what? Giant-sized Astonishing X-Men is split into two books. Yeah, two parts. Isn't that great? Yeah, th- I thought that was that was pretty classy. I know, um, so it's kind of insane, because Amazing Spider-Man 600, which is a far longer comic, is one. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think they knew what they were, where their bread was buttered on. Oh, it's, so it's, I didn't tell you, actually, the whole ironic part of this sale um, is I was finally like, ah, okay, I, I don't want to support my crazy crackhand f- friend, but I, I really did want a couple of issues of these Wolverine books. So I, I splurged and bought like five issues or something. And they, out of everything that I bought, are the only issues that will not download. They actually... <laughs> 
the god of cheap irony was like, oh, nope, error, downloading error. Like, I have to say, the, the, the Comixology support people have been really great, incredibly supportive. They haven't been able to solve the problem, but, you know... But I haven't actually explained to them that, that the real, you know, that the, the secret, you know, that key to it is the fact that me and Marvel have weird karmic relations currently. So. <laughs> that would be spectacular. What, do you know why it's not been moving with your lighter? Well, yes, I've fallen out of Marvel, and they know <laughs> that. <laughs> they, know. they just know. They've listened to me talk trash about them for the last six months, and they're just not. They're just going to take my money because they're Marvel, but they're not going to give me the comics because they're Marvel. So, can you fix that somehow? Can you like set me up with like an identity? identity? Oh, Jeff. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So some really lovely stuff there. I'm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great stuff. I actually really like what Oni is doing for the, the Comicsology Tale in general, which is putting the first issue of everything free and then having the remainder of the storyline for 99 cents. I think that's yes. really smart. Yeah, which is, I have to say, I like a lot more than I liked uh, IDW's, which is they're putting the first issue for 99 cents and then the rest of the issues are like a buck 99 because someone got five issues into buying Dungeons and Dragons before he realized what he was paying for them. So, <laughs> well played. And then you're well like, played. oh, damn it. I know. I was like, God, that totally subverts that point of why I'm doing this. Jesus, dumbass. So, yeah, that was that was great. But no, I agree. I think Oni stuff, it, it definitely made me want to try um, a lot of stuff that I've heard excellent things about that I still am behind the curve on. Yeah, I mean, did you buy the six gun? Because six gun's really good. I really like it. Exactly. Yeah, that's precisely what I picked up. Of course, I, I have and read the Stumptown stuff, which I quite like, so I didn't need to get that again. But uh, yeah, I think I might swing through again, I'm sure, after well, Christmas. Yeah, I was going to say, it's on for the next week in a bit. So. Exactly. You'll be fine. Yes. Oh, won't I? Um, yeah. Uh, so anyway, yes, comics. I have certainly bought them. Um, oh, uh, and good for you. That's why we're here, Jeff. Th- that is why we're here. Uh, and I, I should actually give it up for for our our retail brethren too, because I ran into uh, Comics Experience yesterday and bought um, a handful of stuff. In fact, I tried to tried to buy a little bit more than than the usual pile. Because it's um, Christmas. Yeah, since it's Christmas, uh, and and also I didn't realize. Uh, Tales designed to Thrizzle number seven is out, um, and that was great fun. Actually, I picked up a pretty good handful of comics. I don't know if we're, we should talk about that at some point. We don't have to because I know we've got the whole year in review. <laughs> year in? Or do you remember much of 2011, Jeff? I, you know, my memory's really bad, Graham. I have to say, <laughs> I'm glad you're saying that because I was looking just through some stuff about what we should talk about and I came across things that I'd completely forgotten about huh completely forgotten about it's like Lost ended this year didn't it no that was Lost <laughs> I was 90% sure Lost ended last year but I'm like um, but for example did you remember the Joe Quesada this time last year was still the editor-in-chief of Marvel oh no shit really that, that happened in January wow I know wow that's mind-boggling Wow. Well, 
I have to say, like, Joe Quesada, he's going to end up being, like, the C-3PO and R2-D2 of the comics industry, you know? Just his, like, <laughs> got into the... What's that? What does that even mean? I was going to say, like, they get, he gets into the escape pod and, like, is shot onto the planet of Tatooine just right at the right time, right in the nick of time. He's still at Marvel, don't forget. It's pretty thin. Dude, he's at Marvel, but he's, like, whatever he's doing at Marvel, he's not taking any sort of crap or heat. I mean, I'm sure he is because, I, you know, it's like fucking Marvel is like the inside of the subway car and the taking of Pelham 123 but you know but he's like in a very comfortable seat and he's not you know going to be shot you know because he's like the strange annoying ethnic guy or something it's really funny I you remember my interviewing Joe Quesada story right oh yes oh yes I do during the interview I I did a essentially you know how long are you planning to stay around question I said it nicer than that, but that was the question. And he said, until it's not fun. Mm. And I remember when he quit, I was like, I wonder if it's a case of he's been made a much better offer or if it's not fun. And looking back now, it's like, well, clearly it wasn't fun. Clearly he saw the shit coming down the pike. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I kind of think so. I think it was kind of one of those deals of, like, they found out, like, hey, good news, we've been bought by Disney. Woo! Hey, good news, Ike Perlmutter is going to be running the place even more closely, um, and he's going to have carte blanche uh, to do whatever he wants. And it's like, oh, hey, you know what would be awesome? (laughs) If I went to the movies. Yeah, if I went to the movie end of the spectrum, you know, and spent a lot of time bullshitting uh, with Avi Arad at, like, Wolfgang Puck's place. (laughs) <laughs> Your version of Marvel's movie retreat is spectacular. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's actually only one step removed from this uh, Mad Libs book that I bought. That's what we should have done. We should have done the year in review Mad Libs. Mad Libs. Like, you could have given me, like, nouns and verbs and stuff, and I could have, like, you know, said them, and then you could have filled them in. And it's like, well, Jeff, surely you remember when Marvel opened its smelly socks... <laughs> Marvel opened its vault and its vault was full of <laughs> blank. Anyway, uh was that true? That's the match game theme song. You never recognize it. I, it's it kills me that you, <laughs> you know, know everything why? about American I've never pop seen the match game. I know, it kills this me. This is like when I say to Kate, how can you not know the blankety blank theme? Right. Right, just, exactly. Yeah it's, yeah, it's just their own country. We're, we're, yeah. uh, it's sad. Also, something Although I forgot. We figured out what match game is called over in the UK, right? Didn't you come up with it? Uh, explain the match game again. Was it Mr. and Mrs.? It, was that what we decided it was called? I, no, there's usually like a group of like, there's a panel of six people, and there's usually a, um, uh, you know, the contestants are, are uh, two ordinary slobs, almost like Hollywood Squares, and the host reads them a sentence. You know, it was like the fireman. Oh, it's blankety so blank. It's blankety blank. Blankety blank. Yes, there we go. Thanks. Yes. See, that's what I thought. And then I was like, wait, is this like some sort of romantic match? But then, no. <laughs> yeah, romantic match. No, 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 no. Match game is the closest you ever got to a romantic match was like Charles Nelson Riley and um, whatever he was drinking at the time. So. <laughs> Other thing I was going to say that I'd completely forgotten: the Grant Morrison backlash this summer. 
Oh yeah, wait. Are we starting on the list of things? Is this it? Are we? I'm just. I'm looking at the the half list I'd compiled. <laughs> half list, Jeff. Half list. Oh, okay, so it's is it because I, I kept getting distracted by other things, and I was like, <laughs> "Holy crap! I don't remember that." All of these things that was just like, "Wow, I didn't remember that happened at all." Okay, well, so let let's say January, Axel Alonso steps. Oh, I'm in. I'm not even going to do it in chronological order, Jeff. Come on. No, it's just going to be okay. Great. Okay, let, let, let's go for the big story. Yes, big story of the year is DC. Would you agree? The yes. Right. What happened? No, the, I'm kidding. No, 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 no. Absolutely. The line, their their entire relaunch is like I knew. I was like walking into it. I'm like, well, we know what the biggest news is going to be. Um, even though no one knew what shape it was going to be which is kind of like it's funny now looking back when it was so big mm-hmm. that beforehand everyone's kind of like I wonder what the sales figures are going to be like right right well and it's still kind of in process because I think first month three months six months like that's going to give us a better idea of what the fuck is going on but there, there was a, a scary drop for most of the books in the third month mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so um, I think I think because it just sort of makes sense. There's just not you're just not going to have the completest. You know, you're going to have a lot of people sort of jumping off the books. I mean, I really did find myself kind of again at the store yesterday going, "Yeah, everyone keeps talking well about Demon Knights, and I thought the first two issues were okay. Like, why did I quit it? Like, I really did find myself going looking at, at the shelves and kind of going, "Yeah, man, there's a lot of stuff that I guess was just okay, but you know." Like it kind of had to be okay plus. That that's actually it. what's been kind of killing me about the new Fifty Two. I am buying books that I think are okay because I'm like, yeah, they're okay. I kind of like that. And then I'll get back and I'll be like, why? Why did I buy this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of strange. It's kind of strange. The the other thing that's interesting to me that I would not have suspected uh, about the new Fifty Two is that a lot of the stuff that I'm reading, I'm actually reading more because of the art, you know? Like, it's kind of weird. I don't even know what I picked up. I think I might have picked up and flipped through a couple of issues of uh, Batman and Robin or something, and I'm like, the art on this is nice. And and it's actually sort of across the board. Like, when you look at stuff like Flash, when you know, there's a, there's a few dogs in there art-wise, but it's amazing how many books in the new 52, I feel, kind of have their own kind of unique look. You know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like the Batman books look like any sort of um, homogenous whole. You know what I mean? They all look very different visually. Well, I, I think you were going to see more of a... I don't want to say visual identity because I think a lot of books have different visual identities, uh, but but more of a uh, more interesting art when you got Jim Lee in there. Yeah, I suppose that's probably true. But weirdly enough, like I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure I agree with you. I, I maybe maybe it's the books we're buying, but I th- I think a, a a lot of the books that I'm buying are, are I'm like there's nice panels, but overall I'm not sure to say that the art was great. Oh, interesting. Like, uh, like what? Um, Demon Knights, for one. Mm, yeah, no, it's true. That might have been why I dropped it. But, like, I'm shocked that I'm pretty much reading Flash for the art. You That's know, true. I'm pretty much reading Batman for the art. The story's been really, really fucking draggy ass for me. Uh, Wonder Woman, I'm reading, I would have to say, more for the art than the story. Um,. And boy, this issue looked. This latest issue, issue four, looked gorgeous. Oh my! Wonder Woman. 
Yeah. Oof. Did you? Did you, I take it you didn't make it to? The I haven't made the story yet, but uh, I've seen the preview for it, and I was like, "Oh, I think I'm going to like this." <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm I'm trying to look at some of the stuff that we pulled for our guest list, our guest list, our gift list. Um, let me see here, because I think I still have it right. Uh, yeah, um, Omac, of course, Omac's one that I'm reading, you know, where the art is, is kind of just the, the big drop. Yeah, that's true. The art is very much the big draw of Omac. And I also have to say, I don't know if you pay attention to solicits. I seem to remember that you don't. I'm really happy to see that Keith Gibbon is back on art with issue seven. Oh, great. Great, great. It was looks he, like he was just, did... he, he's all for like an issue. Oh, okay. Okay. And I, I, yeah, was, I was worried that because he's taken on Superman, that that was meaning he was off the art. Mm-hmm. from then on but no he's back with issue seven right so yeah I don't know I mean maybe I'm wrong and there's certainly books like but but for the most part like action comics I think this is the only book that I can think of oh and Batwoman of course Batwoman the art is amazing mm-hmm. uh, even when the story is driving me nuts like action comics is the only book where I'm sort of picking up the book and sort of suffering through the art for for the for the storytelling you know for the writing so. Interestingly enough, Action Comics might be my favorite book of the New Fifty Two. I, I finished Fox issue four, and I was like, I really, I, I'm surprised how much I liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just issue thought, four you know, was great, wasn't it? Yeah. But also just like th- those four issues as a whole. Yes, I was like, there's been a couple of missteps, but I, on a whole, I think it's been the most consistently enjoyable book for me. Oh, I, I agree. I agree. It's it's the most consistently enjoyable book. It's also the book that I really. I don't know. I just, I really am sort of bummed that, you know, Morrison is making noises about bringing it up into the present. Like, I'm like, dude, this really works so incredibly well. Can't we just kind of keep this going for, you know, a couple of years? You well, know, I he's really already, like Young Superman. He's so. already bumped out his original when he's bringing it to present. Because it's supposed to be issue seven. And it, oh. can't, be, it can't be that. Right. Because issue seven is going to be the return, the second part of the Oh Luke Brainiac stolen Metropolis story. Oh great! All right. So so yeah, he's going to he's he's done something to screw up his timeline. Well, that's fabulous. I, I I'm really happy about it. Action Comics is great. I'm I'm surprised by the stuff that I'm sort of, you know, kind of on the fence of. Like I. I like the second issue of Justice League. Okay, I just can't bring myself to pick up issues three or four. I don't. I don't know why. I don't even know if I'm like trade waiting or whatever. I mean, I like the second issue a lot. I just. I, I like the third issue more than the second. You know, right? Maybe I didn't read it and I just got out of the habit. But when issue four was on the stands, I sort of picked it up and flipped through it, and I was like, maybe because it's so Aquaman oriented, I was kind of like, ah. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it, it's it's weird. Like the new Fifty Two has been a really odd thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can feel. I remember when I was reading all of the books in the first month. That by right. the end of it, I was like, I need a break. Yeah. I, I need a break from all of this stuff. And now it's hard to sort of get a handle on what titles I like and what titles I'm picking up for momentum, for one of a better way of putting it. Like yeah. I, I yeah. didn't pick up. Um, the third issue of Demon Knights but I picked up the third and fourth together because I was like oh I like that book right I I forgot that I liked that yeah that's kind of what I did just this week like right 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 no I did like this like I should really like yeah so it's 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 almost self-defeating 
you know what I mean? Like, there's so much of it. You're like, I almost feel like I would be picking up more books if they'd staggered it. And I'd oh, realize, yeah. like, I'd had a chance to be like, I like this book. I'll come back for this book. As opposed to, okay, I read 13 comics last week. Which one did I like? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think I think that is a problem with DC. I mean, they they launched huge, but you know, obviously, fifty two titles was way too over ambitious for them. And uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, it might be the sort of thing that I. It, the weird thing is, is also I have not actually spent the time to um, buy. I haven't bought any DC new fifty two titles digitally. You know, even mm-hmm. after the price drop, in part because I think Hibbs ha- the, he doesn't he didn't have the first issue of Batman and Robin. Maybe that's why I didn't actually pick it up. Now that I think about it, but he had lots of two, three, and four, and I'm like, oh, well, I should just pick up two, three, and four, and then digitally buy one, and I'll be set. You know, yeah. and it's you know sort of a good faith purchase in that sense. Um, I don't know why I didn't do it. Um, you know, and again. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how this stuff pans out. Like, will I chase some of this stuff in the trades? Trade to trade? I just I don't know. No, I was just thinking that because I'm do- like I told you in email I'm doing the catalog, the comic experience catalog right now, um, oh, and it's but the the first hardcovers are coming out now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justice League, Wonder Woman, Batman, and something else. Mm-hmm. Aquaman, no Green Lantern uh, oh, are all right. are all due out. Um, in March or April, I think it might be April. I think they might be solicited in March as solicits before an April release. Um, and I was kind of like, "Huh, I'd almost forgotten there was going to be a collection." <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like I'm looking at, it, I'm like, "Oh, that's right." And it's funny looking at the pricing, like going from DCs to Marvels. Mm-hmm. Like DC are doing six issue collections in hardcover of these books for like anywhere between 20 to $25. Right. And then you go and look at Marvel, where a four-issue trade is $20. Oh, man. Yeah. No, I, I was looking at some of the stuff because Marvel had, you know, like, Hibbs got a bunch of stuff, like a new printing of the Avengers Defenders War. Oh, and Secret Wars and Secret Wars 2. Yeah. Trade paperbacks. Yeah, it just came out. And, hideously fucking expensive just hideously fucking expensive and the, the pricing is all over the place which is really mm-hmm. weird because uh, again I'm doing the catalogue and you know you get the, the collection part and you're like okay this 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 and this there is a paperback collection of Captain America from the 80s mm-hmm. that is I want to say 12 issues 11 issues 12 issues and it is the same price as a hardcover collection that's like 10 issues mm-hmm. which just makes no sense yeah I, you know I, I think I honestly think that, that Marvel prices their shit um, very much on um, like, what will sell yeah, yeah. So it's like it's like you know what uh, the Avengers Defenders trade is only going to sell to two thousand people, so we're going to price it at twenty nine ninety nine. You know, as oh, oh, oh to, and wait, it's is it a trade or hardcover? It, it's a trade. It's a trade paperback. Okay, because I was going to say if that was a hardcover, then that's when that's them being nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. no. Most of what I saw was twenty four ninety nine and twenty nine ninety nine. For, for paperbacks that were not especially thick. And I was like, ugh. You know, so... I, I, 
I don't know. I, I, I really don't quite know how to wrap my brain around around Marvel's trade program. So um, it's probably just better not to try, I guess. So, um, so yeah, 52. And I suppose are we going to talk about, I guess, you know, in, in the course of you and I talking about it, you know, digital day and date. Uh, yeah, what, is also so on my list is called digital comics and art. Is it the enemy? <laughs> <laughs> I I re um there is a and I'm surprising myself with saying this, but there's a really good conversation going on at Miller World at Martin Miller's board right now mm-hmm. with Hibs as part of it. Oh yeah, about, I actually about saw your link about comics yeah. and digital pricing. Mm-hmm. Um. And I, I just go back and forth about digital comics. That's not true. I think digital comics are great. Um, but I don't read them at the same time. Mm. I still buy the majority of my stuff in print. I still right. far prefer print to digital. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, to be fair, you don't have a, f- you don't have a, a full tablet in that sense. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of feel that that's I, like... I have an iPad. Well, but you don't... But you don't. You've. Kate's oh, it's, it's Kate, yeah, it's Kate's iPad. Yeah, yeah but that, y- even so, mm-hmm. like I could have an iPad only for comics, mm-hmm. and I still think I would be buying print more. Right. That's interesting. I I totally I totally get that. I mean, it's definitely something we've talked about on this on this particular podcast before. Um, I I've been in, really enjoying the you know at least the illusion of the infinite bookshelf um, via my digital purchases, um, which is important because my actual real bookshelves are, are few and very, very jammed. So, um, yeah, I'll be I'll be quite excited to, uh, I don't know, uh, to see how digital continues to, to shape up. I think it's, I think it's fascinating that, that Mark Miller and Brian Hibbs are, currently bedfellows in this no it, it, it kind of blows my mind a little bit but I kind of love it as well I feel that yeah. digital is upsetting the status quo so much mm-hmm. that you're getting things like that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right well it's fascinating to me because I really I don't think that I would have expected Miller to end up on this side of, of the the debate I guess you know? no exactly I would have expected Miller to be very much, it's the future of comics, and I'm at the vanguard. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. It's, I think that's how we all would have, you know, written that down in our little envelope back in j- January. You know, it's like, and then broken uh, broken it open to read the prediction like nine months later, and been like, um, okay, guess guess not. So, <laughs> guess so, yeah. he's not the vanguard. Huh? No, but it's it's kind of surprising to see him against it in such a way. I, I think I almost would have understood if he just didn't talk about it as opposed to coming out against it. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I mean, this way he sort of does get the attention paid to him, you know, but, um, you know, I think he, he's also, he could have very good reasons. I mean, because everyone is, he's the only person I think I've seen who's a creator talk openly about what kind of money he's seen for digital and I you know should qualify that because there's a there's probably people out there that I don't know about and b of course I'm talking about he's a big mainstream comics creator you know um 
I definitely think that the digital has the power to open up the long tail for a, a lot of people, particularly comic artists who come into it from uh, web comics or something like that. So, so to hear him talk about it and be like, yeah, it's, um, you know, the money's not great. It's not worth, you know, it's not worth killing the, the goose that's laying the golden eggs for. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of fascinated by that. Is it, it, did Hib, did uh, Brian Wood jump in and have anything to say as well? He didn't have an incredible amount. He pretty much was just talking about sales figures and numbers that he knows about. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I mean, the majority of the interesting stuff is coming from Hibs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, for example, I didn't know. Although I has to be said, like the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I might, have, you know, so I might have been told that, but I completely forgotten that. Um, Apple has to have everything uh, priced at 99 cents or something and 99 cents. Right, right. So, yeah, for example, yeah. you know, if Marvel or DC wants it to price something at 250, they can't. Right. Well, which was the reason why Dark Horse's stuff is priced 350 in print and 299 um, in digital. Yeah. yeah. Which is yeah, still, of course, less. <laughs> <laughs> Right, exactly. Everyone's at the same price as print, or you know, if we could, but we're not. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really fascinating. Um, yeah, no, Hibbs is Hibbs is quite quite been the little slugger. It's really funny watching him talk about digital month after month after month. Because every time I talk to him, he's like, "God, I just want to stop talking about digital. I just want to stop talking about digital." <laughs> And yet he does all the time. Yeah, well, I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's a trooper. He's like, he feels it's really important. He feels like there are things that he's trying to address or there's some major bit of conversation, you know, that he feels that he has to, has to lay into, you know, and, uh, you know, I, 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 I think, I think the discussion seems better for it. I just sort of also feel that it's, it's still somewhat lopsided. I don't know. You know, like, I kind of feel like you know, um, you've... I don't know. Again, it's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm I'm surprised, but also pleased that Miller sort of came out and made his very strong stand about print, because it sort of seems like you're not seeing a lot of other people line up for that. At best, you get stuff that sort of feels like lip service for, for the... Tour. Yeah, and it's also interesting seeing the way it happens, for example, when Marvel, uh, when DC said they're going to date with everything, mm-hmm. you had a lot of Marvel creators be like, "Well, what about print?" <laughs> but then, as soon as Marvel started doing it, they were like, "I'm so excited!" Oh yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, oh, there, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of lip service, which it's completely insincere and partisan. Uh, completely, I, I really do like. Ugh. I've never been like really. I feel like once a month I should like thank the Twitter gods for you know um, giving me the common sense to unfollow Brian Bendis because I just <laughs> some of the stuff that's come out of his mouth this year has just been amazing to me. Amazing to me. Like what? Share. Uh, well, I'm trying to think. He was the one who talked about how. The death of Ultimate Spider-Man, I believe that didn't he give a talk about how it was his way of sort of supporting the shops by making it an event that would only be, you know, print only and not be something that would take away from digital, you know, that the digital wouldn't have access to, even though digital did, isn't, was, Wait, am I misremembering did, that? Did, did he actually say that? I, it sounds like something he would say. 
I just I, I don't remember if he, he definitely did. But that's funny because, of course, it was that storyline that Marvel went day and day to show with the Ultimate line on. <laughs> right. Exactly. And that's, I mean, uh, Graham, this is the great thing about our uh, completely corroded memories. I'm like, I'm pretty sure this happened, and I'm pretty sure I know about it because of you, sir. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, you forget. I write about a lot of stuff. You really, really want me to remember everything? <laughs> I, I would love to know what you could remember. Like, we should just sort of get the little Jeopardy clock. You're like, <laughs> my, my brain is not that good. Uh, yeah. No, I, when you were saying, you know, Bendis and everything he said, I thought you were talking about his hilarious tweet about the writing's on the wall. If you can't hit deadlines, then you've got no business being in the comic book industry. For the right. man who, I mean, I, I honestly, I've talked myself down from starting a how late is brilliant issue to now clock? Unblocking uh, Userama because every single week it gets pushed back more. Yeah, every single week, mm-hmm. uh, including at one point it had been pushed back so much that the release schedule because they hadn't updated the later issues went uh-huh. issue four, issue two, issue three. <laughs> right, and he's he's working on that book with uh, one of the fastest artists in the business. Uh, yeah, I know. Understanding, so it's it's pretty hard to be like. But our Scarlet, yeah, I mean, Scarlet was supposed to be out in the summer, oh, and issue six is like February now, I think. Oh my God! See, yeah, so it's just, it's just right. I, w- I wish that the comics creators talking out their ass was a big enough story in 2011 that we could actually highlight it as. Such. Oh, but it really was. Come <laughs> on, I, I think, I think this is the year where the disconnect between what creators say publicly and what is true has gotten stunningly white. Right, right. I feel in the past sort of limited to buy my book because it is awesome. Mm -hmm. And this year has been the year where they've just been like crazy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You don't think that, you don't think it's gotten weirder this year? No, I, you know... Uh, when you put it that way, yes. Actually, I was thinking about it. I'm like, you know, considering some of the, the, the Twitter meltdown from, you know, a few weeks back and some of the other stuff, I, I would have to say that, that actually, yes, it is the um, the year of, uh, yeah, pro meltdown. But I don't, I don't, you know, I, my original joke was something along the lines of like, oh, yeah, but I mean that, you know, there's levels in which that sort of stuff happens every year, you know. I, again, there's a lot of, you know, Mark Miller, great job of talking shit for years and years and years. I just think it's but fascinating. But he, he almost seemed like the running joke was almost, well, that's Mark Miller. Do you know what I mean? Like him and Rob Liefeld were the two people who you could not trust. Right. And now yeah. everyone is. Yes, exactly. So that's the big story. 2011, everyone becomes Mark Miller. <laughs> but without the sales figures, otherwise... I without think, the sales figures to back it up. Yeah, happens. exactly. Yeah. It's just... But it has been an odd year, and I think this is relating to the thing you always talk about, which is they're under such pressure mm-hmm. that they're cracking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I really do think that... Um, uh, I don't know. I definitely think that there's been lots of <laughs> lots of times where it's like my sort of like, wow, to be a pro in the comics industry, that idea got a little more tarnished year by year. This was the year where I was like, oh, man, thank God. You know what I mean? Like, I was just like, oh. <laughs> I'm so glad that I'm not doing that. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, what if I like somehow really managed to leverage my teeny tiny little story into another shot at doing something, and then, you know, next thing you know, I'm like pitching for shit, and and then you know, and then what? You know, the idea that I would be like writing, you know, some sort of like sub X Men title for Marvel and staring down the barrel of just shit apocalypse is just not. It's. I really am impressed by the people who can do good work under what I feel like is a crazy siege mentality. And I sort of feel that's the case at, at Marvel and DC, both of whom, as far as I can tell, it sounds like they are devaluing their um, creators in, in very different ways. Yeah, I, th- I think that's definitely true. Although this leads me to, uh, I think it was Eric Stevenson, mm-hmm. said something yesterday about... Artists are being treated as like commercial artists on titles, on company on titles. Mm. Did you see this in your drama? And I had this really weird reaction to that statement. Mm-hmm. Because part what? of me is like, they are. Like, unless you actually own something, then you are a commercial artist. Yeah, actually, this kind of gets back it, to this, my this whole. This is a really mm-hmm. weird thing for me. That, mm-hmm. that part, that there seems to be a sense of entitlement, I guess. Mm hmm. Uh, about the act of being a comic book creator mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that I'm not sure is entirely earned. I, I totally, I totally agree. Like I found myself, you know, sort of just tearing my hair out over the whole Shannon Moody thing over at Bleeding Cool. Um, far from the story of the year, where uh, you, you're aware of it. Right? This is the the Archie Comics person. Uh no, this is this is the person who was doing the oil paintings. Oh, Trump lot. Yeah, yes, I know, know. Who that. Yes, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, the the Trump the eye paintings of comic book pages, you know, sort of folded over and open as part of their series, and suddenly, um, you know, God bless Scott Edelman was like, I don't think that this is a good idea. Like, why aren't they crediting the comic book artists here that, you know, this is practically plagiarism and Rich Johnston, who, I mean, you know, maybe he was just trolling for the hits really wrote a couple of pieces that were like, yeah, this is really wrong and should be shut down. And I was like, what? Like, cause I mean, it's because my thing is, is like, it was clearly part of Moody's series where Moody had like done like Hershey bars, you know, the, the rappers on Hershey bars, like, pieces from Clue games, like the the cards, you know, like uh, Professor Plum and Miss Scarlet and stuff, those were all created by artists and they were all created under the same conditions, you know, and I really felt like Moody was trying to do some very interesting stuff of commenting on, on art, about, you know, comparing um, commercial art and, you know, unknown, like, work-for-hire dudes with, like, the the you know the very low standing of photorealistic art actually in the art world and mm-hmm. just a lot of really fascinating stuff and and just to have you know suddenly people who again you know my my snarky way of put it who could not give a shit about the fact that Kirby and Kirby's family are being you know ripped off were like oh my god this person should be sued you know for millions of dollars because they reproduced like a Thor page in, you know in the act of showing this comic book sort of being rolled and bent and not treated like a piece of art but like the dimensionality necessary to paint that 
I, I just, I was like, I can't even believe that A, people thought it was the same work, and B, I also had this moment, because everyone kept saying, like, well, if this person really felt like a, a, a sympathy of allegiance with these comic book artists, they should definitely have given them credit. And I'm like, like you said, they're commercial artists. They don't, they don't, they're not, like, it's, I think it's awesome that we had credit boxes, but we didn't for a huge majority of comics, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. those guys were people who just, you know, it was, cons- it's, it's work for hire and work for hire means that you're not, you're, you know, to the extent that you're being promoted by the company for sales, you know, that's entirely what they want to do. Like, and, and don't get me wrong. I don't think that this is great, but like you said, there's a weird mix of entitlement and also just kind of a very lopsided view of how we're picking our battles in the comics industry this ties in with i told you last week that i've been listening to the the nerdist writers podcast yes which is the television writers Mm -hmm. that has just there's something from that that has really stuck with me in that uh, a lot of people who are staff writers in television shows Mm -hmm. talk about how their job is not to write like themselves their job is to write like the showrunner of the show and right. their job is to provide the show that the showrunner wants and that the studio wants and the channel wants. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking, like, I kept on hearing that over and over again. And there's a, there's a sense of my job as a writer is to be invisible in there. Right. That is just not present with comic creators. Right. Comic creators right. come on, they're like, I'm taking over for my right. first issue. You know, Thor is a you know, even Simonson. You know, Thor is a Thor anymore. There's Peter Rebell, or you know, Odin's back, even though he's been back seven million times before, right. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, comics used to be like television back in the fifties. You'd have Superman comics, and you had no fucking idea who was writing right. and drawing because they all drew the same and they all wrote the same. They all wrote the same. Yeah, and in fact, you had editors who, like, tried, definitely tried, you know, had a super strong, you know, especially in the case of Superman, idea of what those books should be and hammered people until they got into it. It was such a hyper-consistency. Exactly, yeah. Um, And it's funny because you look at the comics now, and really, I think this year is the year where this has really happened. You get the feeling that Marvel and DC really want to go back to that. And can't. They want to go back to creators being interchangeable and the product yeah. being the thing. Right. You know, well, we'll have a new Batman comic every month, and it will be you know, like every on on the third week of every month, you'll have a new Batman comic. Right. And the third week of every, every month, the Batman comic will look like this, and it will he will sound like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or a Marvel, uh, you know, we'll have ten artists on Hulk to get it out. But ideally, you wouldn't notice. Right. In theory, right, it would be the sort of thing of, you know, you would get, God help me, Vince Coletta to ink them all. So it all looked like a Vince Coletta inked. But yeah, no, I mean, weirdly enough, I would say that uh, Marvel at its apex did, well, at its apex, um, post-apex for me, (laughs) in the 70s, I felt like Marvel had an amazing consistency. Like, when you look at those Defenders issues, you know, that we were looking at, Sal Basima and Vince Coletta, like, there was, like, fast swaths of 
Marvel Comics. Like, because Basima was doing so much work, and his work looked like uh, John Basima, and John Basima's work was derived enough from Kirby. Like, there were huge chunks of Marvel's books that, that looked kind of the same. And John Romita, I should say, also. Like, Romita and Basima, like, there was enough of a, a, a unified look. You know, I mean, you still had stuff like Gene Colan's Daredevil. I, I, I'm honestly, like, melting down inside being like, you think that John Basima and Sam Basima and John Romita look the same? I'm, no, I'm having but, like a, a, a breakdown inside my head, and then say, "I know right, what you're right. saying." Yes, I, I totally know what you're saying, but it's funny. I'm just like, I have to register my disagreement with this. <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely, and I, you know, if it makes you feel better, as we all know, I have no doubt that you, you know, we could take a Romita page and a page of Basima from either Basima and Kirby and lay them down, and you could totally tell which is which, but. The no, thing I that's amazing. There's, again, there's a consistency. Yeah, exactly. There's this weird consistency. Like, I'm shocked by how much the thing looks like the thing in 70s Marvel comic books. Yes, you know what yes, I mean? Yeah. And 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 that that kind of that sort of seems like it really, for better or for worse, got lost. Um, and and seems kind of incapable of coming back. And I don't think like I really don't think that that's a bad thing. You know, that, that I it's do think, coming back. Yeah, I think, think so. I mean, I, I just, you know, again, sort of looking at at um, the DC fifty two. I like the fact that there's a lot of different art styles throughout. I mean, there's stuff that I really don't like. I mean, I really wish to God, you know, someone else was drawing like Frankenstein Agent of Shade, for example. But you know, uh, but, but, but that's I, that's the cost. Like that's the price you have to pay if you're like I. Oh, yeah. these books have their own artistic identity. Then you've got yeah. to be prepared for, I don't like this artistic identity. Yeah, exactly. Which I, I'm totally, again, I'm okay with that. I think that's good. You know, I really do. Because I don't think that, uh, you know, I wouldn't, not that I'm reading a ton of them, but, you know, I'm glad that there's a space in over at Marvel Comics, for example, such that when, you know, Daniel Lacuna pops up and does work, you know, it's you know stellar marcus motin marcos martin paulo rivera um you know for some people chris bacalo really turns their crank mm-hmm. you know i'm i'm glad that it's not just the fact that everybody looks like uh, i don't know what salvador la roca or something like oh, that oh god yeah, yeah that that would be that would be the end of comics <laughs> <laughs> right exactly you know but so i don't know i i think that there is a um you know, but the fact of the matter is there's this, I think never has the um, the seam uh, been more shown more in, in Work for Hire comics of the distance between people who are artists and creators and writers saying that they're doing the stuff that they're doing and that it's a unique vision um, when really it's stuff that's being dictated by sales departments and marketing teams and editorial teams, you know, based on larger corporate synergy. Like, it's really apparent that that is the course for 2011. And it really, again, I I, I hope the money is really good for these guys because it seems like a really shitty hard way to make a living, especially when you've got to go out and tap dance for your, you know, audience and answer questions like this is all shit that you know you wanted to do and couldn't be more excited about 
Okay, so let's, let's sort of continue down that then. Do you think that things like Avengers vs. X-Men, where there are five different writers on a 12-issue series, mm-hmm. um, do you think, for Marvel at least, I really think this is true of Marvel more than DC right now, that mm-hmm. they're trying to get to a writing genericism? That they're trying to get to a Marvel, a new Marvel voice in the way that Stan Lee used to be the Marvel voice? Oh no, that's that is a that's a really good question, isn't it? Um, you know, I I don't know. I you know, for me, I always assume the Avengers versus X Men thing was was a case of like we have to have every um every base covered. You know, we've got to have like the world's dumbest high concept. We've got to have it tie into the rest of what's going on in the Marvel universe. And we've got to have all of, you know, all of our biggest names working on it so that it's got, you know, quote unquote, indie cred, you know, I don't know if there's indie cred. Well, you know, indie cred, I guess be people who are discerning about creators. Okay. The idea that, that you're going to get, you know, fans of Brubaker and Fraction and Hickman and all those guys going, well, okay, I wouldn't pick this up. But if, if Brubaker's doing it, it's going to be, you know, it's got a shot at being interesting. What I kind of find amazing is if all of those writers are playing to their strengths, mm-hmm. that can't fail to be a car crash of a book. Yeah. Well, I, Wait, thing that I find worried that they're purposely not going to try and place their strengths. Yeah. I wouldn't think so. They're, they're going to try and go, well, let's try and, you know, a team effort in the way that, for example, 52 was a team effort. The 52 right. was, a, was a better team effort because people wrote individual arcs within the same issue as opposed to mm-hmm. being handed issues to write. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Avengers vs. X-Men is the television model that I was talking about before. Mm-hmm. We break it in the room and then we give it to someone to write the episode. Right. But that only works if you then go... My job is to speak in the voice of the showrunner. Right. Do you know what I mean? Otherwise, you have a wildly different quality of episode. Or not even quality. Wildly different type of episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think... I do think... Uh, and, and hopefully I can sort of circle in on that from from the side. It's worth pointing out that Brubaker is, has experience writing with other writers. And interestingly enough, Brubaker is the guy who has said in in the past he's he's you know the same way most of the 52 writers did it's more work to add more writers it's not less work because of the idea of making it homogenous you know um i remember brubaker talking about writing gotham central with rucka and his thing was like yeah we were both we both rushed to beat the other guy because whoever finished their script first the other guy had to like create the transitions and smooth everything so you know it's like if you got that part finished first then you were fine which I don't really know if that you know is a strong I mean obviously Gotham Central is really great and um, you know his work with Fraction on Iron Fist is really good but I think that, you know, I, I find it amazing that, for example, I, it seems like Countdown was a huge car crash, and it's not because of, you know, any of those guys trying to exert their own amazing voice in it. You know what I mean? No, I know. It's very easy for it, it's very easy for it to be a car crash in its own way. So, yeah, I think, I think 
I think your point is really solid. Like, who's the who who's the showrunner in Avengers versus X Men? You know, who are they supposed to be trying to make that make that book sound like? You know, do you, I mean, are they trying you... to make it sound like Jeff Loeb? Or are they trying to make it sound like? Brubaker? Are they trying to make it sound, or it? I think they have a faith that they what they have is a generic enough voice in this in in the current group of architects. What I think is what I think is interesting is I think Fraction Sphere itself was that voice. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because Fraction Sphere itself didn't really read like Fraction. It read like Mm -hmm. Fraction trying to do Bendis. Right. And I think I think that's what we're heading towards. I think we're heading towards people trying to do Bendis, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, it's really a disaster for multiple ways. But it, because Bendis has really particular strengths, yeah. Bendis' strengths yeah. are not plotting, mm-hmm. but are dialogue, and it's a very specific type of dialogue. Would you say that that Fear itself was was actually an attempt to write a Mark Miller book in a Brian Bendis voice? Yes, I think that's a great way of putting it. So I, you know, but I, I, I think I, I've thought, and I think I've said this in the podcast before. I've thought for a long time that Fraction is the love child of Bendis and, and Miller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you did actually mention that, and I think at the time I was like, ah, but by the time you get to the end of Fear itself, <coughs> um, it it feels pretty. It it feels like it because he know. tries to speak in a Bendis voice while using Miller's language of mm-hmm. scale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I mean I think something like Defender surely shows that off as well. Mm, for all of his you know I'm doing this is the most Casanova Marvel comic I'm doing I mean it kind of is but also kind of isn't right uh, Fear itself more than any Marvel comic he'd done before was written in a, a voice that was not his mm-hmm. and I think Defenders is as well and I think that I, I think that there is some sort of attempt, and I think that Avengers vs X Men is going to be a furthering of, of this attempt to create uh, a modern Marvel voice that will then be used as okay, everyone do this, mm-hmm. which is it's, it's it's really I really hope I'm wrong um, mm-hmm. because Jason Aaron's Wolverine vs X Men. Is infinitely more interesting than that. It's Wolverine and the X Men. Wolverine Sorry. versus the X Men will be coming next year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Wolverine versus Avengers versus X Men. Yeah, Wolverine. X-Men. Um, <laughs> but it, but it is. It's much more. It's a much more interesting book. Mm-hmm. It's much more fun to read. Um, Brubaker's Captain America is much more interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think, and I think it's sort of levels of scale. I, my thing is, is I don't know. Uh, it's interesting because I feel that Bendis himself has spent a huge chunk of the last. Oh shit! Hello. Yes. Hi. Um, Hi. What happened? <laughs> I I don't know. All of a sudden, I think uh, Power Grandma stopped recording on me. So hold on a second. That's done. 
Why would you stop on me, you silly thing? You know, is making. Well, I, it... I, no, but I heard a bloop, 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 and you disappeared, and then you came back. Yeah, that that was. Uh, I think what happened was I. It treated me like I had stopped, like I disappeared. Hold on a second. Let me save this. Okay, great. How do I get it to start recording again? Should you, we just call back? Um, oh no! It looks like it's actually treating it as now. Now we're forty-three seconds into our new recording. Awesome. Yes. So okay. So you were saying before the weirdness um, yes. something about Bendis. Oh, I was just saying. I kind of feel like the parts that suck about Bendis on Avengers is the fact that he tries to tell epic or you know secret invasion and siege. Like he keeps trying to do Miller events, obviously in his Bendis voice. Don't you think, or are they different somehow? Because I don't. I don't. I don't think he's trying to do Miller events. I think he's got a, a very skewed idea of a Marvel event. Mm-hmm. And they're not the same as Miller events. Miller events are... There is a big explosion in Act 1. Right. Act 2 is everyone running around with their head cut off. Mm -hmm. Act 3, big explosion can be solved by punching. Mm -hmm. And I think, especially Bendis' events, maybe with the exception of Siege, aren't that. Well, I felt like Secret Invasion was supposed to be that, but... You know, it definitely opened with the big explosion and like everyone shitting themselves, and then moved right into the realm of like, now I will board the shit out of everyone. Yeah, but also like, Secret Vision got really weird because it was like, it's it's a religious parable. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm making a metaphor here for organized religion, except I'm not. <laughs> right, but doesn't that sound like doesn't that sound like Miller? I mean, don't no, you- because if it was Miller, it would have been so much more obvious, and it would have been at the start. The start would have been. Um, the spaceship, a spaceship land it crashes in New York, mm-hmm. killing lots of people, and scrolls get out and say for Allah. That would have been the Miller opening of Secret Invasion. Okay, all I'm saying is is that I I think and I could be wrong is is that Bendis is trying to do Miller stuff and is failing miserably. Like Miller I, stuff. It's is... possible. It might be that Bendis Bendis's brain wouldn't let him speak Miller. Yeah, I think so. I think there's something to that. I think what he thinks he's doing is his cool take on Miller, and what is actually coming out is just hideously dull, mishmashy gibbity gab. What's really funny about that is I remember when I was reading Captain America Reborn, I was kept thinking that it was Brubaker's attempt to do Miller. Is Mark Miller the voice of Marvel? I think Mark Miller is the voice of Marvel, actually. That's, I, that's kind of hilarious. Is it because Civil War was so big? Yeah, I think so. I think, well, you know, it's Marvel, actually... It's Marvel's really just cool. not been able to recover from Civil War. Have you noticed? Oh, yeah. Keeps going back to Civil War. Keeps going back to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, because... Yeah. Is Civil War with the X-Men. Avengers with the X-Men is Civil War with the X-Men. Right, it's, yeah. They keep on going back to Civil War. It's like they're like, you loved us back then. Right. You loved well, us. We could take three months off of our fucking crossover comic, and you were excited. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's it. That was he did this thing that everyone kind of thought couldn't be done. And I, I will say that Miller, I mean, apart from the Fantastic Four bizarro bedshitting experience, he tur- <laughs> which he was turned- amazing. Yeah, it really was, wasn't it? Like, um, he was able to kind of do that again. You know, he kind of he he took over Wolverine. Even his old man Wolverine thing was kind of a big seller and kind of a big deal apparently which you know um is 
pretty amazing. I, I so he was able at at the time when he was doing stuff to to come up with this way of you know just it 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 looks simple, but it just cannot be that it can't be as easy as it looks apparently. Because I really feel like nobody's quote really managed to do it as as well as him. Who, who's and, who's come as close? Who's come the closest to you? Is, yeah. is that what you're asking? Yeah. Jeez, I don't know, because I feel like I'm not really following Marvel's shit closely enough. Because uh, you know who I think it is? Who? Jeff Loeb. Interesting. Interesting. Um, but Loeb maybe. came first. Like, is, is Miller doing Loeb? Miller might be doing Loeb. I always felt like Loeb was doing a very smart, Loeb was. I always felt like Loeb was doing Loeb. You know, he had a way of doing his shit that that seems very specific. Um, but maybe, yeah, maybe you know, Miller came out of that. I think Miller just very much had his own sort of idea of you know, sort of like you know, stuff that he'd worked on with Morrison of like, okay, like just boil it down to the basics and then figure out a way to 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 mess with that formula that you know makes it very much the same but different you know what's funny uh douglas wolk and i are both reading red razors which is like mark miller's first thing for 2018 uh-huh um because we're doing i'm doing something for his dread reckoning blog that's going up at christmas oh, wow. um and the second of the red razor series mm-hmm. is maybe the worst comic i've ever read <laughs> I'm not joking. It's stunning. It make it's reads like Axe Cop without the self awareness. Wow. It's I mean things happen for no reason. People actually die and then come back, and they're like, "I'm back," and it's never explained. <laughs> and there there's exchanges like, "You're killing me. I know. I hope it hurts." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's just an appallingly bad thing. But you read that and you're like, oh, I totally see like Proto Miller. I right. I see him. I see him being formed. I see him making sense of this stuff. Right. Well, or even more to to the point, which I'm sure you're saying is, is like you see him being aware of what he what the high points he are. needs to do. Yeah. yeah what, what the high what points the are. What you need to, to see. Hit. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, what do people want to see? And I think it's taken. It, what ended up taking them a long time is how do I give it to them? You know. Yeah. I think the one thing that that Miller learned from Loeb is don't do any of it without like without locking in like the world's most successful artist. Like whoever's crazy popular, do it with them. Don't don't do it with anyone else. Don't put together a project if you're not going to be working with, you know. In, in Loeb's case, Tim Sale or, um, you know, Ed McGinnis or, you know, I mean, Joe Madera. I always mean, bend over backwards to give them the scene that they want. It's yeah. their thing. Yeah. They're, it's funny, I was listening to uh, a Loeb interview on a podcast and they were pretty much saying, you know, is there anything Ed really wanted to do in, in this new Avengers series that you're doing with him? And he's like, yeah, he really wanted to draw Wolverine in this costume that he has no reason whatsoever to wear. But because he really wanted to do it, I worked out a way to do it, and that's mm-hmm. that's clearly his way. His, you know, I will do whatever it takes to make my artist happy. Because without this artist, I am nothing. Right. 
Right. Which, you know, again... is actually a really smart move. It is. It is a smart move. And I think there's a way in which those guys, in which, uh, you know, Miller and Loeb, there's a, there's a reason why they continue to kind of have that little one-two punch, you know? Uh, is they're walking in, they're going to do a story that hits all those to use the fraction term, all the power chords, and they're making sure that they've got an artist doing the kind of work that people are going to want to see or look at. Okay, so if that's the formula, why didn't Mm -hmm. Fear Itself work? Uh, Well, I think a lot of people could say that there's an enormous difference between... Let's break it down into a couple of parts. One could say that there's a huge difference between Stuart Eminem and Ed McGinnis in the marketplace. You know? Um, I don't I don't know, you know, there's like nerds like us who are like, ooh, a Stuart Eminem comic, let's pick it up. But I think I think generally his um, uh, heat in the marketplace is not anything that you would see out of, um, uh, you know, Steve McNiven or a Ed McGinnis or... Um, really? I, I would say that Eminem has the same heat now that, say, McNiven did back in Civil War. I mean, bear in mind, like, McDimmon was doing the the other Fantastic Four comic back then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, you know, I sort of agree. I mean, there is kind of a thing of, like, yeah, he was not that huge walking into it. So, yeah, I, I think you might be right. Um, so I, I would say I would say that's a problem. I would say that uh, Miller's knows that you know he goes for his like big moments and i felt like fraction went for them went for them as well i just feel that um miller makes it a point to to quote unquote earn them even if he's being cheesily obvious about it like i honestly think that um we would have known who the serpent was by the end of issue one if it had been a mark miller comic you know yeah you're you're probably right so, so, you know, is is the problem, and this is going to sound like a backhanded compliment to everyone involved, but <laughs> is the problem that everyone else is too smart to do a Mark Miller comic? Because they're like, I will subvert the form. I know, right. I know that you have to keep some secret until the second act. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, is that the problem that everyone is just like, knows too much? I, I think it's part of it. I mean, I think it's part of it. I think it's kind of that idea of they're just not really quite committing. They're like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to do it. I mean, I'm going to do the smart take on it. But, oh, but I, no, I mean, fear itself was committing. Do you know what I mean? Like, you don't get these absolutely ludicrous moments like the Avengers Assemble right before Bucky gets a hand through his chest or... Right. Um, or the end again with Avengers Assemble and everyone's an Avenger now and all of that that's committing it's I don't know it's just it's committing and you're somehow being unable to be ludicrous enough right. simultaneously I don't know I mean I is feel, it half-assed feel, committing is there such I, a thing yeah I, I, I that's that's my thing is, is I kind of felt like there was this idea of like I'm going to go for those moments but you know, Fraction, like, uh, the example is, you know, when everyone's like, well, we're beat, you know, and Spider-Man gives up. Um, those are moments that I think I could see Miller doing, and I don't think that they would have they would have been especially strong, 
but I really feel like he had a, he has a sense of being able to put them in a context so that you get it. You know, mm-hmm. um, I just think that there's something that's there. I feel that I feel that there was a lot of pages devoted to the serpent um, in Fear itself. That didn't. That didn't. He was basically the same all the way through. And I think I think Miller would have like would have worked those beats a little bit. And I'm in a total obvious way, like a completely obvious way. But, you know, just the fact that nobody got tied up and tortured, actually, in Fear Itself, is a sign that the the Miller beats got missed, right? What's funny is we're talking about how Miller would have handled this. I'm honestly just imagining the serpents calling everyone sweetheart at some point. Right, 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 right. No, I mean, you know... Don't I, worry right about that, sweetheart. Right. I've got Nazi I mean, robots. Actually, yeah. that's the thing. Like he probably would have said in the dialogue, "I've got Nazi robots." I've got Nazi robots made out of Uru. You know what I mean? Because he would have gone that extra mile, I think, as opposed to the Nazi robots just kind of rolling up. And there's no one in the middle of it going, you know what I mean? Like you, you've got Fraction all over the sidelines and all of his newsarama articles. Yeah, Nazi robots, man. Because you know, but apart from just sort of a throwaway, half-assed, warmed-over Indiana Jones line about hating Nazis or something, you know, I, I, yeah, I just, I just think, I mean, you know, Miller would have done some of the cheesiest stuff imaginable. Like Black Widow would have been captured. She would have been like tied to a chair and about to be tortured. And the serpent would be talking to her and almost being charming and talking about how he, you know, no one knows what it's like for the life that I've lived and blah, 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 you know, and then Bucky would have broken in and, and Bucky would have died instead of Black Widow, and that would have been the big reversal, you know. And that that would be that would be the way that Miller would lay it down. Like it's like, oh, it's very simple. You think they're going to go here, but then you go there, but then you think you're going there, and and I just kind of felt like no one else was, you know. I, I really feel like Fraction wasn't doing the work. I feel like he was doing a bunch of other things that he thought was were covering the ground needed, but really wasn't you know um it's great it's so it's so wonderful being able to trash talk fear itself through the lens of okay. like well and here's what mark miller would do okay. i'm not saying that this is what i want okay. to read my so let, let, let's let's stop trash talking for yourself uh what do you think about flashpoint is jeff jones mark miller actually i think i think i also think that flashpoint looks like a big ass miller story to me like hugely, hugely, all of that shit looked like Mark Miller, and had actually a huge chunk of all the Miller touches. I just, you know, um, there's a reason why I don't actually like Miller's work, frankly. Um, you know, I, I, I Flashpoint was bad. Let's, you know, let's. No, but here's the, no, but here's the thing. Flashpoint was not bad until the last issue, which was so bad it made everything bad. Do you not yeah. remember you and I liked Flashpoint to varying yes. degrees right up until the last issue, and then we were like, "That was that stank so bad, it stank right. through history." Yeah, it stank through history. I, ironically enough, for a time travel story, it actually traveled backwards in time and stank up the other issues. But which I think makes sense when you've got like a storyline that can only handle can only go one so, way. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know what I mean? Like it's well, I just mean that it's again to bring up lost, you know, it's when you have an investment of things and you it's it's like a progressive jackpot or something. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to suspend my disbelief here. I'm going to give the writer the benefit of the doubt here in chapter three. And then what happens is if it doesn't pay off at the end, chapter three, which you were liking, okay, suddenly really becomes like a big old piece of poo because all that stuff that you were giving it leeway for didn't really pay out, you know? That's the thing about Flashpoint. Flashpoint didn't have the reveal, didn't have the, it was you, Barry Allen. (laughs) It would have been perhaps duller but it would have been better because it's that reveal that makes everything else sucky. Uh, There's there's so much, there's so many other problems with it, but Mm -hmm. it's that reveal for me, at least that retroactively ruins everything before it. Interesting. For me, it's like that reveal sucked because it just seemed absurd and didn't make much sense and sure. all the other things. But it also contradicted things that had happened earlier in its own, earlier in the the same series. Right. Where you have Agreed. Barry Allen saying stuff like, I would never do that. Right. I'd never, exactly. that, that would be terrible. Mm-hmm. And then the reveal is, <laughs> yes, you did. You sure did. Boy, oh boy. Like that, it's like, wow. So you've just, you've actually just been lying to us for the sake of a stupid reveal that makes no right. sense. Right. Exactly. But I have to say, and maybe this is where you and I split differently, but I assumed from relatively early on, especially with the introduction of all the heroes, um, <laughs> for example, and also, I mean, the big thing about Flashpoint is the um, the war between Aquaman and Wonder Woman, right? But they don't... That story ended up having no weight for me. Maybe it would be awesome if you end up covering it in a, um, uh, you know, some some miniseries that I didn't read. But my basic impression of Flashpoint was there was all this other miniseries stuff that had to carry the meaning, and maybe it did, and maybe it didn't. But when it got when it got to that last issue, because so much of it was putting this really absurd weight on the twist. What I kind of wanted was for the Aquaman, Wonder Woman stuff to sort of have a make reason sense to exist. To why it's there? Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, yeah. and so because it didn't, it was like the world's emptiest MacGuffin for like, well, you know, that, all those issues. Yeah, that's just it. Again, it's it's like what they needed to do was have that be nastier. Mm-hmm. If that got really genuinely nasty, as opposed to everyone just saying they were being nasty. Right. Then you would have been like, oh, it's horrible. <laughs> I don't care what you have to do to change this back. You have to change this back. But right. instead, it was just the two of them being like, I hate you. I hate you, too. You didn't bury the end. Right. Exactly. Well, and I think this is the problem that I think um, part of the reason why it was, I think, would have been impossible to, to carry off. But they wouldn't have even necessarily had to make it that nasty if you could have just seen who those characters were in there. You know what I mean? Like, if you could really see how you could draw a line to, like, oh, you can really see how Wonder Woman ended up in this place because you can see Wonder Woman in her. Or you could really see how Aquaman ended up there because that's well, really I, Aquaman. I'm tempted but, to say that work was done in the, the spinoffs. Well, yeah, but... Yeah, I you know which I'm I'm willing to to say, on the one hand, great, but I you know it, at the same it time that's needed, not what I'm reading. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's kind of like I needed it in the story itself, at least a little bit or at least a portion of that, enough of that, so that it gave me something. Whereas, like, for example, I feel like, um, you know, the Batman stuff worked in Flashpoint worked well on its own, you know. That character, what he wanted, he was able to sketch that super quickly and it was effective. I think part of the problem is, is at that point in the DCU nobody has any concept of who Wonder Woman or Aquaman really are or were. They had been mix-mastered so much, I felt. Maybe not as much Wonder Woman, but I like... I don't think there would have been a really strong way for me to get a handle on them the same way that when you see Batman, you know, be Thomas Wayne and the way that he's acting, or if you have Superman be, you know... Did he ever come back? Did he just flew into the sky and flew away? No, he comes back. Does he come back? Yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember. He comes back. He comes back and he lands on someone. Oh right. Maybe the enchantress. Maybe he lands on the enchantress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, I'm going to take it all, and then basically she gets crushed yeah. by a super taint or something, yeah. right? Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Um, ugh. Yeah. No, this was not a good year for the crossover event. Let's just say, right? 